This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday morning mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips. He is Andrew Page Esquire. Mr. Page, how are you this morning? Very good. Very good. Um, last day of the year. It is the last day. You know what? I was going to say, mate, I was going to refuse to do any more podcasts this year. I figured. I've had enough. No, no more this year. I'm done. Uh, I'm done. Do, do you do those New Year's jokes or am I the only really lame one around here? Well, well, the classic, of course, yeah. is uh, I will be doing plenty of see you next year uh, to, to the kids and Correct. to the family. I won't stop until I get plenty of eye rolls. So the, uh, the morning after, you're like, oh, I haven't eaten anything all year. Gee, I'm hungry. <laughs> that's always, or, or I haven't seen you all year. It's like, that's, yeah. <laughs> Not funny. Though. It wasn't funny yesterday. It wasn't funny last year. Not funny today. And yet- It's funny to me. It's, it's funny to I'm, me. I'm not going to stop no matter what. <laughs> Mate, we, um, we've got a lot in the Motley Fool Money mailbag. Cool. Um, so I thought we might get straight into it. We are pre-recording yep. this episode. We're pre-recording a couple over this period. Right now, hopefully, I'm somewhere down the New South Wales South Coast. Hopefully having decent weather. Hopefully my young bloke has caught a fish because he is just, he's 10, he's mad keen on fishing right now. Uh, he's already booked me up to do morning fishing and night fishing and afternoon fishing. And Dad, can we fish every single day? Yes, maybe we fish every single day. So I assume by now I, I'm probably well and truly overfishing, uh, but hopefully he's having a good time. And hopefully we've had at least one uh, dinner of maybe maybe some some South Coast flathead. We'll see, we'll see how that pans out. What were your plans over the break? Uh, my plans are really to do as little as possible, nice. to be honest with you. I just, I'm, um, I'll catch up on some reading, uh, just, just uh, maybe I shouldn't admit this on a finance podcast, but just <laughs> not think about the share market for a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. Like you kind of need to tune out and it's, it's the, the market actually trades most days <laughs> over this period. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So, you know, um, one thing is always interesting to keep your eye on is it is a good time to release news <laughs> that you're not thrilled to release, but have yes. legally are obliged to release. So yes. that, that can sometimes keep it interesting. But yeah, other than, other than like a bit of, uh, you know, drama or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll be trying to sort of minimize all of that. Nice, mate. Beautiful. Hey, um, let's get to our first question, which comes from Guy. This is fascinating. My question to the podcast machine, he says, would be in relation to the new Sigma chemist warehouse asx listing i feel like this would be a business i would like to invest in due to my own experiences shopping there however with all the hype around this listing i'm worried i would be paying way too much so his question is this ram how do you separate hype from reality in a stock yeah gosh that's a good question um the good the thing about any uh, this isn't the appropriate word but they say that Behind every bubble, there's a nugget of truth. <laughs> you kind of need you need something that's at the very least sort of plausible, like for for the for that exuberance mm. to sort of manifest. And I don't want to suggest for a second. That's why I said the, the word is wrong, but the sentiment yeah. is still there in the sense that you're right. There's a lot of hype around it. And what does Buffett say? You usually pay up for, for a cheery <laughs> consensus. Yes. Um, having said that, I haven't done the work. And I, I think that's the answer to the question is do the work and have an independent view. Mm. You will find that, that there are actually, you know, lots of examples of where there is hype, but it's not unreasonable hype. Mm. You know, like I remember, gosh, what's a good example? I remember in the early part of the century, um, <laughs> speaking of things that make you sound old, um, <laughs> where 
where there was a lot of hype with um, REA Group and yes. car sales. Yeah. Because yeah, like- Facebook oh, just and go- Google. Oh, yeah. I re- actually, I remember being on Sky Biz when Facebook listed. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was a PE of 100 in the prospectus. Yeah, and yeah. I went, oh, that is the dumbest thing ever. And you know what? I actually, I, it listed and then the price came crashing down. <laughs> Told I you so. <laughs> and I was like, actually turned out it was an incredible investment. Had you, even, if, even though you'd suffered that initial dip. Yeah. And, and the reason was, is that they, they were able to float within Facebook's case at a high, what would be considered a high multiple traditionally, mm. you know, yeah. relative to averages, because there was so much latent growth in that business. And the business delivered on that and more in such that you could, I don't know what the P is now off the top of my head, but it's not that. No, <laughs> so you've no. had this massive multiple compression, yeah. uh, and yet, and yet, you've still done well as as a uh, an investor. So it is. I guess what I'm saying here is, it's easy to be cynical and go, "Oh, there's too much hype." You know, some sometimes, <laughs> yep. sometimes the hype is there. You and I were both, I think, right and wrong when it came to afterpay, in the yes. sense that the the it looks, uh, how do I put this? It was sort of like, it looked dumb in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And yet, objectively, it did win a huge amount of market share and their revenue did go to the moon. And it was sort of like, huh. You know, and I think people, contrarian slash value investor type people, mindsets are always scared of these kinds of opportunities because they just feel exuberant. They feel bubbly. They feel wrong. And we're just not comfortable in, in doing that. But if you if you assume that everything is going to be like that, you're just going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. Sorry, this is a long answer. So I'm going to finish That's it up by one. saying, do the work. So forget about the shit. Don't even, who cares what the share price is, right? Here's a combined entity. They've got a lot of material out there in terms of what the plan is. Our combined entity is strong because we we think we can do this. I think I read something about plans to expand overseas and all the rest of it. So you you need to come up with a uh, and if this sounds like hard work, I'm, I'm sorry, but it kind of is. Um, but but you know it's what you have to do, right? And and you can do it in, in in more. You don't have to be super sophisticated about it. It's just like what what do you think the pro? Well, they'll, they'll probably tell you. In fact, in a lot of their material, what's what's the um, pro forma? They call it uh, per share earnings. Like what is as a combined entity? If this was a combined entity last year, what was the per share earnings? You go, okay, there's a good starting point. How much do you think it can grow? Grow that by that amount by say three, five years, ten years if you want. Add apply the multiple, work backwards, right? You'll you'll come up with a number, and it's a very rough and ready number. But you, mm. but you've come up with a number, and you've tied that to, as I often say, that ex, a business expectation in the per share earnings growth and the market expectation in, in the PE, and um, it'll give you something to sort of work with. If you can do that under a variety of scenarios, and and the current price looks reasonable in light of that. Then buy it, even if even if there is a lot of hype around there, you know. On the other hand, if you think, "Wow, a lot of stuff has to go really right <laughs> for this," most Australian businesses do not succeed when they venture overseas. It ends up torching a lot of capital and the rest of it. You know, you 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 might think not now. Interestingly, that is um, that is work that is never wasted. I used to always get annoyed when you do all that work and go, "Oh." It's not a buy. What a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's, a, it's brilliant actually, because now I know, mm. or at least I've got a line in the sand somewhere and I don't know what the market will do, but I know that if the market ever got to that line, well, now I'm interested. Maybe I'll go back and dust off the spreadsheet or, you know, re-examine some, some assumptions. But 
as with happened with Facebook and as with happens with a lot of things, yeah, you can sort of get this big sort of expectation there, but you often get a chance and and you you all you can be is opportunistic. But you have to be opportunistic relative to your independent assessment of what value looks like. So yeah, I don't. I actually. So I, I haven't done the work on on it, and I I don't know. Yes, um, Chemist Warehouse is a great business. Hmm. Sigma, I did do a bit of work on back in the day, and I I thought it was a pretty ordinary business yeah, because is. they. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wholesale, ultra low margin. Uh, they they delayed very necessary investment into warehouse logistics. Yeah. Um, uh, CRMs, you know, a lot, just a lot of backend systems. My investment, in, I'll talk about this. Sorry, mate, this is the whole go, podcast is going to be me just monologuing. <laughs> One of the best investments I ever made was API. Yes, um, it was. You even back you when I worked at the our, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the thesis that this is a really interesting setup here, and you'll, this is something to look out for. When you looked at the historical figures, it didn't look that different from Sigma in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But they had recognized that they had underinvested for a long amount of time. And so they had made big, serious enterprise resource planning type system investment. Mm. Multi, tens of million dollar investment that took multi years to sort of do. They always go wrong. Anyone who's ever been through this with an organization knows that, you know, the, <laughs> the, SA, the, SAS, yeah. the SAP system or the Oracle system was always a, you know, just a nightmare. And it's, but they'd done the hard work. Mm. And obviously, when as a business, when you're spending all this money, you're making the investment, all, all the, you look at the cash flow, it's like, oh, it's, wow, all this money is going out the door, nothing's coming <laughs> yeah, that's back right. in. That's right. But you could see that it's just like, well, once this investment is made, they will be able to operate much more efficiently, much leaner. They'll be able to deliver better service to their customers, et cetera. Well, that, that was at least the hope. And it did. And then Sigma sitting on its hands for ages, they just got complete, they suffered a lot as a consequence of that. And and I guess the they have, I think they did eventually see the error of their ways and they have caught up on, on a lot of that stuff. But yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm just not a huge fan of, of that business, although I do think Chemist Warehouse is a great business. But it's also, the, it's also this was a business that exploited a, uh, a cozy oligopolistic, I can't say the word. Oligopolistic. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Oligopolistic. There we go. <laughs> uh, scenario yes. amongst the pharmacy uh, yeah. sector. Um, try, I'm trying to choose my words extraordinarily carefully here. <laughs> and they exploited that yeah. to great advantage. So now it's like if you're going to choose between a chemist and there's like a couple that are close, but you probably go to the chemist where it's going to be cheaper. Yeah, right? you're, you're more range is going to be cheaper. Yep. 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 And, and they decided we're just going to take a lower margin than yep. everyone else. Like, and everyone else went, whoa, hey, guys, we got a good thing going on here. It's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 there's an unwritten rule that we're all going to like do this. And like, yeah, but we're not. Um, good on them too, by the way, because that's that's capitalism at work. Um, uh, so anyway, what I'm saying is they shot their shot, and it was a great shot to shoot. <laughs> but now what? Um, when you uh, shot your shot, there's no more shots to shoot. How do you shoot? Your yeah, shot? That's what you're and I said, the different shot to shoot. <laughs> um, and with that, does that make, yes, does that make sense, mate? That's a long diatribe. What, what, what I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good summary. Um, few thoughts uh so i had someone twitter whinge about the chemist warehouse sigma merger as it was going to get rid of competition and there is some real value and this is I'm, i want I, a teachable moment let's call it a teachable moment because <laughs> the person on twitter not not unreasonably right you see a few players in a few big players in the industry they're going to merge therefore there's gonna be a reduction in competition now there may well be for what it's worth 
But your point about that is is really important, right? Because you take out Chemist Warehouse, you take out Sigma, and you say, right, when there was no, when there was thousands of individual independent players in the pharmacy space, mm. literally thousands. You know, we, there's a difference between structure and the actual reality of the of a sector itself. So you would yep. you should expect if you if you read the economics textbooks, you've got I don't know how I think it was five thousand was at one point independent. Uh, individual chemists. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would have been something. And like the chemists that. can only yeah. be owned by, I think you can only own a certain number of two or three chemists per person. Whatever yes. it is. I can't remember. The, anyway, I used yep. to work for Blackmores, by the way, for this, this is the background. So I know a little bit about this sector. There's yep. 5,000 chemists and there was zero price competition. Yep. And now there's fewer of them. Now, at some point, if chemists ends up with 95% share, they'll probably stop competing on price. So let's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not unreasonable to say, hey, should we let them merge? I don't know. I don't know the answer from a, from a competition perspective, but yep. it's absolutely worth saying. That chemist warehouse are not the big gouging profit profit maximizing entity here. These are the guys who literally bought competition. Again, not that the challenge. They're the challenger. Right? It doesn't mean yeah. they deserve any favors. It doesn't mean that we should let you know. I'm not, I'm not I'm not fighting their corner either. I have no dog in the fight. But when you kind of the the instinctive response of oh big guys doing this, they're obviously the, it's like well you know not necessarily. The competition mm. was bought to the, the sector by them doing exactly that. To your point, mate, it wasn't even... I mean, it was unwritten rule, I suppose, by virtue of the way it worked. But the, the suppliers would give a recommended retail price. Yeah. And the pharmacy would just sell at recommended retail price. Because why would you not? They, it was originally designed as when you get a prescription, I want to make some extra money, so I'll buy the vitamins or the nappies or the talcum powder or the shampoo. On the way out, I'll make a few more dollars as a retail. It's like, cool, okay, that, that works. And obviously, they did it more and more and more and made it a squillion dollars. Mm. And it was in no one's interest. Because the other thing about the, the, the chemists, and this is why the structure of the industry is really important, there were rules about how many you can have in a certain geographical area. Mm-hmm. So these guys were, were supported by government policy. The pharmacy guild, by the way, is the- I was going to say, force. that's the word that we haven't used yet, is the pharmacy they guild. They are the most yeah. powerful political force in the country in any in any CBO. Maybe, maybe the union movement writ large, maybe the BCA, the Business Council of Australia writ large. Yep. In, in terms of a, like a, you know, a, a next level down size-wise, yep. these guys wield incredible power. And yep. so, yeah, there, there, were, there were massively anti-competitive rules in place. Chemist Warehouse effectively had to do what they did, but it, it, given those rules and still try and make a way to, to find a way to win this one. Yeah. And so far, they're doing pretty and good. And they, they really, flo- I mean, as I, under- as I understand it, they kind of tested the boundaries of yeah. those. When he's, yeah, rules. There's a, there's a structure, there's a, the, the corporate structure for the, the uh, franchise is different from the structure of who owns the actual stores themselves. Yes. Not miles away from a Harvey Norman-esque type scenario. By the way, Terry White and Ken Martin, all the others are reasonably similar. Yep. Um, they just managed to have a very specific business model. I had people who owned Chemist Warehouse franchise who want to be part of the franchise group because they wanted to get these deals. So it's it's largely it's it's more a franchise model than it is a company owned model, just the way it works. Yep. Yep. But these guys bought competition to the to the market, right? So, yep. um, and, and you know what? And whenever there's competition, it's the consumer that wins, right? And this is why that's it's the that's the point to make. Yeah. Yes, but don't assume that the number of players is competition. Yes, understand the industry structure. In terms of how, you know, where's the value chain? Where's the negotiating power? Where's whatever? The yep. guild have fought for that. that governments are so scared of the guild. They, yes. the governments, I think they what, the seventh? They do a five year, what they call community pharmacy agreement, yeah. which is basically a, uh, I think I can say this without offending anyone or getting myself in trouble because I'm not talking about individuals. Um, the government basically sign away uh, any need to face political pressure from the guild by giving them what they want for every five years. <laughs> So every five years they go, oh, okay, you can have it for another five years, guys. And they go, good. We won't have to uh, put leaflets in our in our front counters saying how terrible you are anymore. Yeah. Uh, in fact, when the current government, no, last government, current government, tried to change the maximum dispensing for 30 days of supply to 60 days of supply, mm-hmm. there were signs at the front of chemists by saying, oh, the Albanese Labor government are doing this, are doing that. 
it was a very, very, very clear example of the Guild using its political power to try and get the government to back down on this stuff. Anyway, Mate, I, went, I, went, I went to get some eardrops for the little one the other yeah, day yeah. and they've still yeah. got those signs like, there. Yeah. yeah, 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 100%. So anyway, long, long, it's a long tangent. Other than to say, so understand the structure of an industry, not just in terms of how many players, but understand where the power is wielded and what's stopping and starting competition. Back to the question about Chemist Warehouse. I think you're right, mate, about the, the hype and, and, and doing the work. I think what I would say, which is not dissimilar to yours at all, but, but in terms of doing it, the hardest part for many people, me included, Excuse me. Is um is being careful about the prejudices or the, the preconceptions you bring to that analysis? Because mm. if you if you like the business already, you're going to want to like it. And you're going to want the numbers to stack up. So yeah. some of the hardest yeah. things on this one is to say what what's their model? Wow, if they did that and that and that and that and that, this could be worth a lot of money. And if you can't be objective about how likely those things are, then you're telling yourself something. And so the first thing, guy, I reckon is to understand that there is that lack of objectivity. And so you should just you should just assess the assumptions harder than you would otherwise. Am I really sure? What evidence do I have? How how really likely is it? Right? Because plenty of people said, "Oh, AMP is great. I love AMP. It's going to do really well. I'm sure it'll be able to turn itself around." Because you know, as soon as you think it might or it will or you, you'd like it to, you're already on that train. Yeah. And yeah. we've talked a lot about our companies we like. You like some, Ram. I like some. Alyssa can fill in those those gaps. They're not very hard to do. This is yeah. just crossword. Um, you know, we, we are obliged to, I wouldn't blush, we are inclined to see what we want to see. You know, we can we can uh, write off every bit of bad news as, oh, it's temporary. Every good news is, say, I told you it was going to work and, and that's hard. So guy, I reckon yeah. two things. Firstly, really work hard on making your assumptions objective. And then to the extent you feel like you've been able to do it or not do it, really apply a margin of safety to the number you end up with. Mm. So, you know, they're going to list, I don't know what they're going to let's say that's five bucks a share. And you work out, okay, I reckon they could be worth $6 a share. Okay, we'll discount that back and say, well, hang on, how likely is that, right? Yeah, how, how, how aggressive have I been in the assumptions? How likely are those outcomes to happen? Not because they can't happen, just because if you're recognizing yourself that you're less likely to be objective, adding some objectivity either in the assumptions themselves or in the, the so-called margin of safety, I think is a really, really important thing to do just to make sure um, that you, you know, you're getting what you, what you want the good thing about Chemist Warehouse and Sigma is going to be heaps of coverage of this thing. It, it's a great retail story. Retail as in, you know, newspapers love it because individual, we all use Chemist Warehouse, so we're going to be interested in the story. So, you know, they're going to write the articles we're going to read on. So that, that's kind of nice. There'll be heaps out there about what it's worth. Um, I, you know, the other thing, by the way, is because it's not a new listing, it's not an IPO, it's a merger. And the Sigma board should be, in theory, getting a reasonable price. The Chemist Warehouse uh, board, in theory, should be getting a reasonable price for their part of the deal because effectively, Chemist Warehouse is going to earn, I think, 80% or so of the company when it's, when it's done. So both groups, it's in their interest to get a reasonably fair price. And that should, as long as no one's being hoodwinked, and it wouldn't be the first time the board did a bad job of any, of any company, not just these two, by the way. Any board did a bad job. Uh, the, the value should be reasonably accurate. Um, so it really is the future that you're betting on here. What is the market expecting the future to look like? My last point, mate, speaking of that is, um, I'm a big fan of reverse discounted cash flows, reverse DCF. Yes, yes, So you, can, what, you put a DCF together and say, right, I think growth's gonna be this and this and this, and therefore the shares are worth this. Yep. You can do the same thing, but do it in reverse and say, okay, if the shares are, if the share price is currently this, what does that imply has to happen in the future? Yes. Okay, well, they've got to go up 25% for the next seven years and then 10% every year after that. Oh, that sounds a bit much. Or yeah. the current share price implies they're going to grow up 10% a year for three years, then 5% every year after that. Okay, well, that sounds maybe a bit more reasonable. Yep. Um, Big fan. I kind of work that. backwards that way. Yeah, so assume assume that the current price for the sake of the exercise is right. Yes. Okay. 
then for it to be right, I ain't mm-hmm. going to need a certain amount of growth. And then, so now I'm now I'm asking, can it do that? Not what do I think it can grow? Just, you mm-hmm. know, is is that within the realm of possibilities? Yeah. And I guess it's it's not no, that's badly phrased. Is that likely? Yeah. Yes, it's probably in the realm of yeah. possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is it, it needs to be. Yes. Yeah, is it pro? Thank you, thank you. Um, I just add very quickly. I be careful, and I know I'm sure guys not doing this, but just be distinguished between. Uh, your uh, the appeal the business has from a consumer cons- perspective as opposed yeah. to an investor perspective. Yeah. You know, uh, Qantas is great to fly yes. <laughs> well, <usually> most of the time, <laughs> but we invest in it, right? Um, yeah. And there's a million examples like totally. that. So it's sort of like the customer experience is great. And that's a, by the way, that's an important thing. You want mm-hmm. something that people like yeah. to, to deal with, but, but it, it doesn't automatically say that a good, a, a business that can offer a good experience to you, the customer, isn't necessarily a good business from an economic engine perspective. 100%. The other thing, the um, reverse is also true, by the way. I had a mate who wouldn't buy Fosters back in the day because yes, he didn't like the yes. Yeah. And it's like, that, that's, that's okay. But you don't, you're, if you're not the customer, don't bring your lens to it, right? Yes. If, you're not, if, you're not, if you're not a woman, don't, don't assume because you wouldn't buy skincare products. Not that only yep. women do these days, but you know, yeah. the, the, therefore there's no market for it, right? Yes. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you don't like a spicy food, doesn't mean the spice maker's not going to work. Um, yes. So just to use both those, really try and be genuinely, well, here's the thing. No one's, ever, no one's truly objective. There is no such thing. But the more objective mm-hmm. you can be about its market, not about I bought this, I had a great experience, or I bought this, I had a bad experience, but rather actually if everyone else had a great experience, mine sucked or vice versa, yeah. maybe that's telling you something. Yep. Love that. Love that. Hey, mate, we had a question from Mr. M. From, oh, uh, oh, the teacher. Kadamatite Primary School. Now, awesome. I, am, I am hoping to get them a, a little bit of a, uh, a preview of this one because the kids are going on break. In fact, by now they're already on holiday. So uh, kids, if you're listening to this in advance, have a great holiday. If we don't manage to do it, have a, I hope you did have a great holiday. Uh, he's promised you'll play it to them when they get back because the kids have got an update for us, mate. So okay. Mr. Okay. M says, hi, Scott and Rantbo. <laughs> Thought you might like an update from Kadamatite Primary School. We do. Now, <clears throat> Miss B apparently has made her first investment. It was in the iShares ASX200 ETF. We've encouraged her to pay herself first by putting money away for investing. And she's trying. We think coffee might still be getting in the way. (laughs) Our real issue, oh no, is that she now wants to invest in the BetaShares Global Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF. (laughs) We think she should keep putting her money into the ASX200 ETF until she has a nice stable base. And then maybe try out the robotics ETF. What do you think of our non-advice? I love the kids know we can't (laughs) give advice. Kind regards and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from the seniors at KPS. Now, there is a PS here. PS, we know you don't like the ASX share market game, but humble boast time. We had two students in the top 100 for Victoria. They aren't even grade sixes. Well done. Awesome. PPS. Mr. M's son bought a company called Stealth Global a few months back, which has since doubled. And Mr. M didn't. The poor man can't win. (laughs) (laughs) Well done to Mr. M's son. Well done to Miss B for getting started. Now, the background of this is, by the way, after I got that, I did, uh, I I replied, I love these questions. Thanks, mate. I'm starting to wonder if Miss B is real, though. 
Uh, I thought it might be one of the parents. No, she's very real. She's our junior teacher. He even sent me a photo of Miss B to prove that she exists. So okay. I can't I can say for anyone else who else was wondering out there, uh, Mr. Room is not just pretending there's a Miss B so he can uh, get away from making his own mistakes. You know, when you say, oh, a friend of mine, you're really talking about yourself. <laughs> Miss B does exist. So, so that's a positive. Uh, kids, thank you for the second question, by the way. We hope you are, are having a good year and hope uh, hope that the, uh, the holidays are going to be great. Um, mate, what do you reckon? Should, should Miss B, we can't tell Miss B exactly what she should do as the kids know. Mm. We can't give financial advice. Uh, but yeah, should Miss B think about adding to her ASX 200 ETF or is it time to buy some robots? I mean, I get it. Like, I'm pretty bullish on AI and robotics. Like, I really, I'm actually just over the weekend, I was reading some more stuff. It's like, wow, like they're here, right? Like, this is, it's no longer science fiction sort of uh <laughs> anyway i could go on for ages so it's, i don't i don't think it's a dumb thing to to like if it was 1984 and you were doing you know an ai like there's just no progress it's a bit of an you know the ai winter and there's just nothing that's on the horizon let alone about to be commercially viable mm. Mm, yeah it's just all hope things are a lot closer now mm. but it is what you usually see when new industries emerge is you see there's some kind of technology enabler. It's like, well, we couldn't do it. Now we can do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can do it. And everyone rushes to do it. And usually speaking, there's, I mean, as the as the, the land grab, as they call it, is on, mm-hmm. some company manages to get a little bit of scale first. Maybe they have better funding. And you generally see for every hundred companies that start, you might get five or six that that are left standing and then maybe, you know, it depends really on the type of the industry, but in a lot of industries, you're left with one or two kind of players. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case here, but it could be. And, and, and generally what happens is you, you can't pick it at this early stage, right? Like Google seems like the most obvious thing in the world when you look back in hindsight, but back in the Ask Jeeves days and the Yahoo days, it was anything. It was anything but. You have to explain that to the kids, mate. Oh, they were the uh, very early browsers uh, and search engines. <laughs> so this really- is when you use Google Kids. There was a time uh, when there was a there was a there was a there was a search war on actually. And in fact, Google wasn't even one of the first ones out. No, so there was Yahoo. There was Ask Jeeves. There was Alta Vista. Uh, yep. Probably a couple of others too, but Internet when- Explorer was because it had the Microsoft backing, right? So that right, was the a browser. Yeah, that yeah, was a, yeah. that was a browser for Chrome and Safari and other things. Edge came yep. out. Yep, yep, yep. And and you know and and so, but you know now we know there's really there's Chrome and then there's everything else. Yep. Um, so so I, I'm only I'm only say all of that because I get it. I, I don't want to sort of go ha ha. That's a really dumb thing to do. It's not. I, I get the intention. And if if Miss mm. B has been following the the progress there, it's a very exciting area. That, that that is on the on the cusp of commercialization. I've said before. I think it's really not that far away before we all have a robot in our house. You know, much as we would look at buying a family car, it's like I would like something that will do the dishes and the laundry and the cleaning. And like, and again, I know I feel if if you haven't been keeping up with this, that sounds like Andrew. That's fifty years away and always has been. It's like it's actually not. It's actually really close. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Um, but but you you these ETFs, as we've often said, are very cynically created because they. BlackRock in this instance goes, oh, everyone's super keen on this. Let's create a product that gives everyone exposure. The trouble is, is that because it's so early in this race, you you and and the way that they're going to invest in this thing is almost guaranteed that you'll get the winner in that basket, but you'll also get all of the losers. Assuming there's a winner, by the way. And that, look, things unexpected things can absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I'm of the, I'm with I'm with KPS uh, the mm. the kids there. I, I would say focus more on the broad base kind of stuff. Yeah, it's boring. And by the way, in a couple of years' time, when this other ETF goes to the moon, you'll be kicking yourself because that, there's every chance that could happen or not. I don't know. It's it's a it's a coin flip almost at this kind mm. of time. But just if you want to have a bit of fun, just just recognize that it's a it's it's much more speculatively based than investment based at this exact point in time. Yep, I think it's a really nice summary, kids. I reckon you're right too. Um, you know, I, so I think I think you can build portfolios in a whole lot of different ways. I think if you're going to build a portfolio where you're picking, you're trying to pick stuff that's going to be market beating, right? Because if you're not going to, the market's going to grow in all, all likelihood over time. And so that's your that's your starting point. If you can do better than that, you should. If you can't do better than that, then then get the average and, and do really, really nicely. So yeah. as you say, Miss, Miss B's already already chosen the, uh, the, the ASX 200 ETF, which is great. If Miss B is then going to go and pick, I don't know, seven, 10, 15 individual investments to, to, to add to that ETF, then that's completely fine. Some people never own an ETF in their lives and they think they can pick stocks if they can and they do really well. That's that's fantastic. I really don't like, as you guys might know, I really don't like um, these so-called thematic ETFs. So I want to pick a theme and, and Ram's already kind of talked about that and talked about why. Um, the If you're going to do that, you have to, you know, if you said, I'm going to buy an Australian company, and I'm just going to, you know, which one would you buy? Well, you'd say, okay, well, I don't know. How big is it? Is it going to grow? How much money does it make? All that kind of stuff. And then when you say, I'm going to buy a robotics ETF, the question is, well, how profitable are they? How profitable are they going to be? Is the price at a good price or a bad price? Is, you know, is it attractive or is it not attractive? Uh, if you said, look, I'm going to go buy a pair of jeans because that's a good idea. I'd say, yeah, great. But then a $20 pair of jeans and $150 pair of jeans are very different things, right? Uh, you know, I might say, yeah, if you get a good quality pair of jeans, 20 bucks, go and buy them. Absolutely. Look after you. If it's 150 bucks all of a sudden, I'm going to be like, you know what? You're probably paying too much for that. Even though they're still jeans, there's a very, very big difference the price you pay. So I reckon uh, you are better to, if you're building out an ETF portfolio, use these really broad ETFs. The ASX 200 is a great one. There's some international ones, by the way. If you want to get some exposure to some great American companies, um, rather than robotics as an industry, I'd be looking at, for example, the US stock market. Think about some of the great companies that you guys will use every single day. We've already talked about Google this episode. Uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, um, Tesla. Uh, what else am I missing around that the kids all know? There's some some wonderful, wonderful businesses there. And yeah. so if you're looking to build yeah. out a portfolio, um, there's some great ways to, to use ETFs that are really broad. That is, they cover a heap of different companies, a heap of different industries, not just robotics. And the, the costs are pretty low too, which is which is pretty good. Generally speaking, if you're buying those kind of cool, uh, trendy ETFs, you're probably paying a decent fee and you really don't know what you're getting. You know, you don't know what you're buying. You don't know what they're worth. Um, so it can be a bit of hit, hit and miss, a uh, bit of a gamble really. And, you know, some people want to do that and that's okay. Not our job to say they shouldn't do it. Uh, but if you're looking to build a long-term portfolio to really make some money for you so you can maybe not have to work for quite as long, maybe Miss B wants to retire a bit early or or enjoy the good life or or whatever else she wants to do, Um, the more you gamble, yes, the the chance of winning is, if you win, you win a lot of money, which sounds great, except you're probably not going to win or at least you run the risk of not winning at all, maybe even losing, in which case you're worse off than if you hadn't done anything at all. So uh, Miss B, you do what you want. Uh, enjoy your coffees as always. Um, but uh, I would I would probably go with a, a broad-based low-cost index fund. Um, again, I can't see what you should do, but uh, you know, a, a global 
ETF that has a lot of international companies or American companies, something like that. Uh, really broaden that exposure or add to that ASX 200 if you like that. Some great companies in Australia. Uh, no reason to avoid that one either. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a choice between going for something that's guaranteed to be average yes. versus something that might be great. Yeah, and when you when you pitch it that way, it's like, well, I don't want what guaranteed to be average. Like, <laughs> well, hear me out, right. hear me out. Yes, <laughs> the average is pretty good. Yeah, the average beats after fees most quote unquote professionals. Yes, and it, it's very much the hare and the tortoise kind of thing. So I, it's not like we. I think any of us are, are under any illusions that this you know buy a broad based ETF and you know there's a Lambo waiting for you at the end of next year. Like probably not, um, but. I think definitely. I think we said definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely. Right. Well, you know, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Money taps get turned on, and and you know, pal, the pal put helps markets go to all. Who knows? I don't know. But but it, but it is it is something where I, I want to ma- mention this because you know this podcast will be out in the internet forever, and there's every <laughs> chance there is every chance in five years time it turns out that it was the best ETF that you could have bought. Yeah, totally. Yes, exactly. Yep. You know, so I don't want to suggest oh this is definitely a bad investment. Like it's good not. Point. Yep. It well could be great. It yep. really, really, really could be great. Yeah, but point. but it also could be bad, like <laughs> or relatively <laughs> bad. You know, awful. So even if it ends up giving you five or six percent compound per annum, but if you just like went with the boring vanilla broad-based ETF, got you eight, 9%. It's kind of like, that's a big opportunity cost. So I feel as though it's sort of, the, the funny thing with thematic ETFs is if you're getting to that level where you've got that, the skills, the experience, the insights to sort of have a firm view on industry mm. dynamics and companies that are well positioned to benefit from it's kind of like you might as well be a stock picker, right? Like <laughs> exactly. We, yeah, that's we, right, exactly, exactly. You know, so it's yeah. and, and and by the way, we would encourage that. We, we think it's an incredibly yeah. worthwhile endeavor for those that are prepared to put put the work in, in into it. But it's kind of like you either have to say, mm. well, am I there yet? And, and maybe Miss B is. So I don't want to make any assumptions. In which case. Fill your boots, but but then why why bother with the ETF? Go and go and look for the companies that you you think have the really best chance of, of doing it. Maybe it's Tesla, uh, the the Optimus bot. It's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Otherwise, just keep it easy. Nice. Hopefully that helps kids. And again, have a, have a wonderful, wonderful break. Uh, yeah. Mate, um, we answered some of Davo's questions. In fact, we answered one of Davo's questions last week. And there were three more. I said we had four questions that we spent so long on the first oh, one. Oh, yes. So, yes. Davo, we didn't forget you. Well, it sounds like Andrew might have forgotten you. I, I didn't forget have you. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew doesn't have the questions in front of him. He's entitled not to remember these things. He outsources. And uh, that means I've got to do the job. So. I'm white gloves over this side <laughs> of the mic. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Here's the second question from Davo, mate, from, from last week. If a company company pays out most or some of its earnings as dividends and then only reinvests some capital back into the business for growth, then isn't a DCF a highly inaccurate valuation method? Would we not need to adjust the DCF according to the forecasted proportion of capital reinvested? Oh, what a great question. It's a medium one, but it's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So... What you're doing with, I mean, it's a highly idealized scenario that you're mapping out. Mm-hmm. It, there's the question of what the company can generate and how much it can grow. Yeah. And then there's the question of once that has been achieved or not, what do you do with the money you actually have? Mm. You know, so it's sort of like I, I, when, when a company reports their their profit in, in this particular year, it doesn't say anything about what their their uh, capital management strategy is. Like right. We made a dollar per share in profit. Great. <laughs> what do you do with that? 
well, we could pay it all out. We can actually pay more than it all out if we've got enough in the, in the bank. Or we may pay none of it out. doesn't matter. We earned a dollar per share, right? So the question is more about what will a high payout ratio do mm. in terms of the growth potential? And I think, I think the listener is right. If you're paying out most of it, unless you're in a you know, um, monopoly type situation or very privileged situation, you will find that you are hamstrung a little bit on your, on your growth. And that, by the way, that, that can be a good thing. Too much money, so much money, goodness knows, probably trillions have been blown up <laughs> through the arrogance and hubris of management yeah. that, that wanted to take on the world. But incredible success in a given niche and then, then thought they had the, the you know, um, the mm. power of, of God and, and just, and then invested in all other kinds of dumb stuff that just blew up. Um, so sometimes paying it all out is the smart thing to do. Um, but I would, I, I just, I, I would put it aside. I would sort of say, just focus on what the company how it can grow. Now, whether that's just by continuing organic growth through what it's doing or, or investing in new areas or, or just investing enough to keep the existing um, capital base uh, uh, functioning, you know, keep, keeping the machines well-oiled and the, the warehouse still standing, that, that kind of maintenance, kind of capex, they call it. That's kind of cool. But, but, but it's really a question of how does that help you grow? And then, and uh, yeah. I'm kind of tying myself in knots here. Maybe you should help no, me. No, I think you're nailing it, mate. I think you're absolutely nailing it. I think it's, it's a great question, Davo, because it, uh, an it, asks, it asks the questions of what is the company doing with the money and, and therefore yes. what's worth based on what's left. And I think the thing with the DCF is it implies, as Ram just said, that the cash it generates is part of the next lot of cash from the year after the year after the year after that. And so whatever growth rate you come up with says, I took the cash and I use that cash and here's what's left. Now, yeah. in a perfect world, as Ram says, if it kept all the money, it could grow faster because otherwise it shouldn't keep the money. And if it yeah. pays out the money, it can't grow that fast, A, because it's paid it out, but B, because it figures it hasn't got the use for that money. So in, any, in either case, the future year's growth is allowed for. And frankly, even if it keeps money, it doesn't use it, builds up a cash balance. It's kind of a slight drag because it's probably only going to get a few percent in the bank rather than maybe, you know, eight or 10% that if it paid it out to you, you could reinvest it at. But it's kind of keeping that cash anyway. So as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't torch the money, the company's still worth something. You know, if I if I'm if I'm a dollar a share, I can pay it nothing in dividends, and the shares are still worth a buck. Mm -hmm. Or I can pay it fifty cents in dividends, in which case the shares are worth fifty cents, the dividends are worth fifty cents, my total wealth is still worth a dollar. So in theory, and again, uh, I watched the Yogi Berra um, uh, documentary on the plane actually on the way back from the US a couple of weeks ago, which was fascinating. Oh, um, is that, oh, what is what, and, and, what's it and called? Quoted, well, I didn't. Oh. I don't honestly know, but I think it's just called Yogi. I oh, know it's called It Ain't Over. Is what's called It Ain't. Oh, Over. I am so checking that out. One okay. of his first. One of his first. It's, it's largely a baseball movie, actually, rather than a rather than a um, a quotes movie, but it's a combination of both, right? Okay. Um, his, one of his famous quotes is It Ain't Over Till It's Over. Yeah. Uh, which, funnily enough, was a kind of a Yogi Berraism at the time. It's actually moved past everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, where at the time it was kind of a, a bit funny. Anyway, long story short, I was going to say this. Yeah. Go oh, I was going to say I thought it was Lenny Kravitz song, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> was it Lenny? <laughs> I know the song is Lenny Kravitz. I'm not going to sing it. I know the one. Yeah, yeah I know the one. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't think it was Lenny Kravitz. There you go. Anyway, back to back to finance. Um, yes. So, so I was going to say, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is, which is my favorite yeah. Yogi Berraism. Um, you know what my one is? Very quickly, it's like on. you don't. I didn't realize how easy this game was until I got into the commentary booth. Yeah, exactly. which is, which is exactly. brilliant. I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. I love it. Um, one of the other I, I had not heard before. I don't think until I saw it on the on the movie was. Um, uh, 
uh, don't copy someone unless you can imitate them. Oh. Which I really like, right? Because on, on one level, it's like, well, it's the same thing. But the other thing is like, don't try and be that person unless you actually can do it. Yes. Which I yes. think is a really kind of, yeah, well, playing your own too. game, right? Which is, which is cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, my point about like this it. is, in theory, it's the same. In practice, it's different because companies do a lot of different things with cash. But mm. the, I, I would suspect, Davo, the inaccuracies built into any DCF. I, and, hey, let's go with another yeah, yogiism for the fun of it. Predictions are hard, especially about the future. <laughs> oh, um, that's got to be the best one, actually. Yeah, that's, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The, um, but the idea here is, you know, could, you should make a change to DCF based on the cash flow, uh, what they do with the cash, based on the reallocations, how much they're going to earn on that money. In theory, if they're keeping the cash, their returns are lower because they're reinvesting at low rates. It all should be baked in. I would suspect the dividend policy is probably going to not be the biggest source of error in any single DCF, no matter what, only because the future is uncertain, as I said. Yeah. Hey, um, um, can I, can I, I give you a, just a really interesting example? Yeah. Um, because uh, we mentioned it a few times, but there's a, there's a company called ProMedicus. Um, it's, it's just insanely um, uh, in, in, incredible investment. And I know because I, I sold out way too early. <laughs> so <laughs> it haunts me at night. It's a painful one, that one, yeah. But the reason I bring it up is because, gosh, mate, have you seen it lately? It's nearly at a hundred bucks a share. I have. Like I was at your kitchen table yes, when I bought were. shares. And, at I, 85 and, when you, cents. and when you didn't, I chose not to, by the way. So it's doubly oh. painful for me. Oh, uh, no, don't I go, oh, Andrew must be doing well. I was like, no, no, no. I, I sold a lot on the way up. Anyway. It is um, unconscionable at current price though, surely. We don't know we talk about Facebook and other things, but I, I can't believe yeah, current I, price I is even close to reasonable. Dude, I, I sold I, yeah. I, I sold at much lower levels thinking that that was silly. Right? And by the way, so, it doesn't make you wrong. I mean, we're talking about, you're talking about uh, the buy now, pay later guys and afterpay. I mean, the fact right. that the fact that it was bought at $150 a share doesn't mean it was ever worth that much. It was just that's what the market decided to pay for it at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, price and value, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. The, re- the reason I, I, I hope you're right, because just, just <laughs> on my, <own, laughs> my own ego, I need that to be right. <laughs> Mate, the P is 139.4 for anyone who's uh, playing no, on the, the critics will say, yeah, but it's growing really fast. I'm like, it is. And it's got really great margins. It does. And uh, it's got a very dependable cash flows. It, you know, it's, it's acyclical. It's recession proof. It's like, like there is, I can't think of anything I don't like about this company. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that's absolutely oh, true. Oh, here's something else, right? This, I forgot about this until I read this recently. Just while we're just while we're doing our Prometheus love in, the market cap is just it's a, it's a it's spitting distance of ten billion dollars with a oh. B. There's 130 employees at the company. 80 times sales, by the way. Yes, but anyway, 130 people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, right. You, right. You, you point to me a ten billion dollar company. You will find ten like ten thousand employees. Right. Yeah. Like you just because you just needs it. They run lean, and, and that's why they have such insane margins. And yes, exactly. Sam Hooper is just great CEO. But tangent on a tangent, the AFI had their CEO of the year awards. Did you read that when no. you were away? You got it. Someone who inherited all their money and <laughs> generated from and benefited from a once in a generation <laughs> mining boom. <laughs> Right. And, and, and then took the opportunity at, at the acceptance speech to bitch about how ugly solar panels are and how the government's taxing it too much. <laughs> you figure out who, who I'm talking about. I've like, got a reasonable idea. Um, um, uh, yeah, anyway, someone who's very powerful and probably likes to throw lawyers at things, so I'm going to shut up at this point. I would. But, it, but just Sam- quickly, Just quickly. Oh, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's also uh, a reminder to- I, there's a there's a whinge in the paper about the bushfires in New South Wales and some backburning done by the RFS, the Rural Fire Service here in New South oh, Wales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the the article was they started this fire, it did this, uh, that was bad. 
and it's like you do if you, we should i hope every single listener of ours knows this right a good idea can go bad a bad idea can go well you can have success through absolutely no work of your own or a lot of work of your own you can fail despite being the smartest hardest working person in the room making the best decisions in the world because 100%. stuff happens it just yep. happens so yep. um, anyway go back to your ceo but just you know we talk about ceo of the year if someone says this person's the best ceo because their company went up this much in value because of a commodity or, or a market i'm not saying she doesn't deserve all praise for everything she's doing she's not stupid she's doing a really good job of maximizing value but you've got to separate buffett famously pays his ceo's work for berkshire on the basis of their controllables, not on the basis of the outcomes. Yeah, you, know, you said before you don't get it. rewarded for being Johnny on the spot, right? Well, if you're if you're running an iron, oil, or, 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 if you're running an oil business and the price of oil goes up, you don't give someone a bonus because the price of oil goes up. That's, that's just it, it's or they don't deserve to be paid less if the price of oil goes down. In yeah. either case, were they responsible for it? You 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 remunerate them based on their success with the controllables. In fact, you should reward them in an instance where the profit goes down, the share price goes down, but you did really smart moves. Absolutely. Like that's correct. You know, like. Anyway, so yep, because it makes value. Go on. If I was the AFR and the mm-hmm. AFR of you know they've they've put a few foot wrong feet wrong over the years <laughs> in certain acknowledgements and mm-hmm. accolades that they present to certain um, people, I would have put Sam Hubert up there, uh, the really? CEO of yeah. Because you know what he he did he and his partner um, they founded the business themselves they built mm. it from scratch. They've created incredible amounts of wealth for their shareholders, insane amounts of wealth for their shareholders. Yep. They've been totally selfless in, in what they've I mean, just, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to single out Sam here. I was like, there's a thousand people who are more I, deserving yes. than the person who got it. I, yeah. I would say, I would say, in my, my humble submission to the mm-hmm. AFR. Uh, I'm going to Boris, the Boris Johnson. <laughs> Boris Johnson was the, uh, the keynote speaker. I was like, yeah. Oh, I was like, I was never invited. I never will be. But I, I don't think I would have been able to bite my tongue at that event. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, it's like uh, I, I should what, say actually for the record, I'm not. I'm not anti Sam Hubbard at all. He's done a really good job of, the, of running that business. I just think, again, even a little bit like you know, how responsible was he or was that person for their job? Even some of the entrepreneurs that make a lot of money. You yeah. know, there was there was a telco boom. Oh, 10 years ago now, was it, mate? Probably yeah. like eight, seven years ago. You yeah. only had to, to use one of your favorite phrases, you had to be able to fog a mirror as a, as a telco CEO to <laughs> do really well. Because yeah. Why? Because the trend was so strong. Yeah. You know, Aerial making PCs was making a squillion dollars for a while. Why? Because, yeah. you know, when you have that sort of result, you want to be really careful about working out why they were successful. And just because you were the right person at the right time. And again, I'm, this is not about Sam, right? Sam's done a great job. But the question would be, if you'd have put me in there, would I have done modestly similar? And if I had... Then you don't get the result just because you were the person, as you say, Johnny on the spot. It's like, yeah, what did yeah. you do to actually create that value? And the reason I was picking up particularly, we said CEO of the year rather than best CEO of any company on the ASX over the last ten or fifteen years. In which sure, Sam would be higher up the, the ladder. But it's like, you know, what, what did they do to demonstrate that changed? Yeah, you know, what did they do to change the trajectory? What did they do to make a difference that was objectively the right decision and had the right outcome? That's not what most of these award winners are judged on and not their fault either, by the way. But yeah. that's how you should, if you're trying to work out who's best, look at that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, so I, I'll give you the argument. This is, I'll come, mm. finally come back to the original point after, after having five <laughs> tangents on tangents. Um, uh, the, the, they had a business that was basically practice management software for radiologists. Yeah. It was okay. Well, it was a success. Like, was it, we would call it a micro cap. Like yeah. very small. It's not in the major indices, very small, but still as a great as little a, business. 
Yeah. I, you know, when I say yeah. little, like, yeah, you, you, know, <laughs> I you would, little, yeah. you would be happy. ASX little, you would be yeah. very happy to have this little business. <laughs> but in, in, oh, I want to say 2007, something mm-hmm. around there, they, they, they acquired uh, mm-hmm. a German business called Visage. I won't go into it, but basically Visage is the engine of that business. That's what yeah. has created all this wealth. And the reason I raise this is because just to the, the listener's question, they had uh, some treasury um, cash, you know, in the yeah. bank. Yeah. And they could have paid it out as a dividend. Yeah, they right. Have, they could have hired more developers and, yeah. you know, improved their product. But, and again, and to your point, there might have been some, some, in fact, I'm almost certain there was probably, there's always luck in, in anything, right? Mm-hmm. So without taking too much away, I'm sure there was a little bit of luck in it. But that capital allocation decision of post-profit earnings mm. Was what created Prometicus that we know today. Yes. Without that decision, without yes. and, and you could, and it was not obvious at the time, right? And I'm not going to pretend that I saw it at the time either. I just thought it looks really cool, it's interesting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But but this is this is why, um, particularly dividend investors who sometimes mm. get too thingy about their dividends. It's like, mm. what do you want here? Do you want to maximize your after-tax return or do you want a dividend? Now. I want to maximize my after-tax return. <laughs> there's, there's, man, there's no right answer there, but I mean, but but you need to ask that because often the ones, the companies that are very uh, focused on that dividend, end up hobbling themselves. Yes, you know, right. be, because they don't invest. They don't. I mean, I'd say unless they can't use that money well, in which case they shouldn't, right? So ah, yeah. If exactly, you haven't got yes. the opportunity. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're hundred percent right. In fact, that's the good thing about a little bit of a dividend because it kind yeah, of exactly. restricts boards and management mm-hmm. teams from from mm-hmm. being too acquisitive and and the rest of it. But I just I just want to make that point that you you could have been doing a DCF on Prometicus at that point in time, yeah. And and saying, well, what are they going to do if they are oh, they going to use it all on this acquisition? How does that change? I mean, these are all very very sensible questions. Yeah. But you kind of want a management team that has that entrepreneurial flair it's just like it's it's this really weird intersection of skills where you want to be a good operating manager whereas i can operate i've got this existing business i want to operate that to its full potential Mm. but i also want to make sure that of the capital that i generate i invest that wisely so i want to be an investor at 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 the same time and i want to keep all the shareholders happy probably want a little bit of a reward along Mm. the way so it's it's very hard to balance those sort of three things but but it's I only I raise it because that is an example of of a big capital allocation decision that changed everything and then some for that particular company. Nice, mate. Two two thoughts just to finish off. Uh, taking back to uh, to Prometheus and Visage for a second. Can you imagine being the company that sold Visage back in two thousand? Oh no, I know. It would be that's when you're swinging staying up at night, mate. It's one thing for you to have sold your shares after they rose in value. These guys sold Visage for not as much as they should have been. Here's the other thing, by the way, and this is yeah. where. Um, you know, it's like, it's like the fifth Beatle, right? It's like, yeah. you, you guys yes. are going nowhere. Yes. You guys are going here. nowhere. I'm out of here. Visage <laughs> <laughs> um, was such a non-big deal when Prometicus bought it. Here's yep. the quote. I actually found it. 2009, it was bought. I found the ASX okay. release. Okay. And the ASX release says, quote, post-merger, we'll have argued with the largest product footprint in the marketplace. We able to provide a solution from scheduling and billing to packs and its distribution through to advanced 3D visualization. Visage also has base in North America and Europe, so our geographic footprint will also increase enormously, end quote. Now, wow. I want, it's worth, and again, this is, I, I really, really don't want to bag for a minute because it, it, honestly, it's, uh, they've done a wonderful job and Sam Pepper's yeah. a really nice guy. I've met him a couple of times. Um, so it's not about him, but this, this press release is Visage kind of gives us an extra product to sell on top of everything we already sell and they've already got some offices overseas, so maybe we can use those offices to sell our stuff. Yep. 
This wasn't, oh my God, we have found this thing that's going to be so huge by yeah, twenty. We see the future. Yeah. We, right. The rest of our business is going to go. We're going to close it down. We don't care about it. It's only going to be, I don't know if they have, by the way. It's only about Bazaar. It's only about this thing. We, we've just literally turned ourselves into a cash box and we've pivoted our entire business to try and do this. Yeah. And that's not a criticism of them at all. It's just one of those, again, did you did you buy it? The projections have, you know, a 14-year DCF for the, for the Zaz business, which saw them with a, you know, was it $5.5 billion market cap and a $100 share price? No, of course yeah. it didn't. And that's not no. their fault. And they're not bad for doing it. You, you play the cards you dealt, you do your best with them, and hopefully you get some good results, right? And that's yeah. awesome. It's just it's just worth saying, uh, you know, this is the this is the sort of situation that... Now, here's, can I say one more thing? Yeah. They, here's the last quote in this press release. And what I like about it is, fortune favors the prepared mind, as the quote says, or in this case, the oh. prepared company. So here's the quote at the end of this. End of this um, I love that saying. Again, should they have yeah. predicted it? No. Did they predict it? No. But, yep. but, quote, we were able to secure this business at a time when asset prices have collapsed, far more so than anyone would have predicted even six months ago. Oh, because 2009. And have done so without the need to raise additional capital. I believe this vindicates our decision as a board to maintain a conservative, debt-free balance sheet with significant cash reserves. Oh. The current economic climate has, if anything, worked to our advantage. Okay, that's they earn, they deserve the credit there, right? right? And that's and that's yeah. exactly. So there's one. You know, imagine if they if they had been shares. Let's say they doubled the share count. Well, the share price now is only half what it is, which is still yep. spectacularly larger, yeah. right? But sure. But the the, the yeah. impact for shareholders. Because yes. they didn't dilute themselves, because they kept the cash on the sidelines, because they yep. bought with, you know, a, a fair amount of backbone, right? Because this was a scary time to be buying new assets. What do you mean you're using your cash? You know, we're in a recession. Why would you do that? Yeah. Um, it's it's there's just lots of different moving parts here, um, but full credit to them for firstly running a business so that they had the cash when it was needed, and secondly having the courage of their convictions when they saw the opportunity. Oh, it just it just. Uh, that is where you have to give massive yeah. amounts of credit. Huge, yep. you know. I, 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 I feel as though we. I've whined about this with you a lot <laughs> off air, where it's just like, it's so frustrating when you see. Because we're in a time right now. I would say if you're in retail, yep. things are really tough out there. Oh yeah. Uh, if you're in really. financial services, they're pretty. I mean, not many yep. people are doing well out there. Yep. I mean, you name it, right? There's the the, the economy is overall holding up pretty well, but it's, there are segments where you know people know it, it's it's pretty tough. Yep. And the natural reaction is everyone pulls their head in. Now, a lot of companies don't have a choice because you're not making any money. It's like, oh gosh, we're we, we're running, you know, we're fast running out of cash. We've got to tighten our structure. The, the the kinds of companies that go ah. And again, you have to remember, hindsight's so easy. 2009, again, mm-hmm. if you weren't investing back then, take my word for it. <laughs> we yeah. Very, very calm, rational, intelligent people were seriously worried that the entire global financial system was going to collapse. Oh, yeah. like, it, Including it, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett it, talks about being days away Yes, from the system collapsing, he's not. He's not the usual fear monger. The the you know the the CNBC kind of you know finance TV talking head who wants to go and get a headline. This is these are not the usual suspects. The, no, and and yet and yet they are making acquisitions of a German-based software development company that right. I don't think was making any money at the time, mm-hmm. but but for for very sensible reasons, and that is. To me, that is the sign of a management, and I, I bet you they. Sh- I have to check the share price, but I bet you they weren't rewarded by the market for that decision at that mm. point in time either. They probably like people are like what this is not the time to sort of do it, but they could do it. None of their competitors could do it. They, as they said, we got an insanely good purchase price because of that. Here's mm. the other thing: the year is now 2023. 
just as we as we put this to air. Um, uh, it is, as I say, a ten billion dollar company. Uh, I've just checked. I just pulled up their their full year, most recent full year report. They've still got ninety one million dollars in cash. Yeah, yeah. Now, at this point. You can raise. They could say, "Hey, we're going to raise money, right. and we're doing it I at the beer one." This price, you know, it's like maybe you should, guys, <laughs> yeah, because exactly. it's like the cost of capital is something. Yeah. And yet, here they are, yeah. still, still with that cash. I mean, that that is where I don't know how this this question pivoted into a, a Prometicus love in, we're but sure but uh, credit where it's due. But no, let's give it to one. Let's 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 applaud the iron ore magnate. <laughs> No names mentioned. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Return on equity is a wonderful thing, says Davo. But I'm a little confused about how debt can make this figure look better than it might actually be. Are you able to clarify how that practically works? And again, how much debt is too much if we are looking at return on equity? Ah, easy one. Um, I'll kick it off, and you 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 take it from there. So, equity is just another word for net assets. Mm-hmm. So, you take you look at the balance sheet. You got all the assets listed, all the liabilities listed, and then you have equity, which is the difference between the two. So, this is the cornerstone of double accounting. The double the value, value of your house compared to the mortgage that you have to pay. Yeah, and, and so I, I I conceptually I prefer to use the term net assets because mm-hmm. it. It's the same thing, yeah. but it, it's just it's more intuitive, I think, yeah, rather than right. rather than equity. You get thrown out of the um, the finance club, mate. If you if you use words people can understand, yeah, I don't, we don't we don't we don't like that, do we? Give us your money for a small fee. <laughs> you can't understand yeah. equity. It's too hard for you, poor oh, things. We'll bless your you. bless your cotton little sock. <laughs> you know, we'll do it for you. We'll underperform and uh, <laughs> we'll spend it all on like you know uh, BMWs and yachts. But hey, you but know, trust welcome. us. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, uh, by the way, if, if you, I have to say at this point, if you're getting away with it, it's just like <laughs> kind, a kindness. There's, there's a morbid respect yeah. at this point. It's like, wow, you haven't been drummed out of town. I would have thought an angry mob with pitchforks would have like driven <laughs> you right, scum-sucking right. middlemen into the sea by now. But no, no, you're still winning awards. Oh, by the way, speaking of the AFR, I opened the paper this morning and this, I won't name names, Thank but you. a certain stockbroker was uh, found of incredibly illegal behavior. His, his, his punishment doesn't get to run the business for five years, but still gets to keep a stake in the business. Again, Google it. You're like, Where, where's my incentive not to rip people off, right? Like Allegedly. 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 Yes. Alle- oh, my God. Like, it, all I'm saying, kids, if you're listening, <laughs> when you go into a life of crime, go into white-collar crime. Because that is... <laughs> A, 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 you're going to do much better from the proceeds of crime. And B, if you get caught, you're not going to be treated that badly, you know. Just don't pickpocket or do anything, any minor kind of crime, because then you're really going to be thrown <laughs> under the bus. Anyway, my, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Um, so, so, so net equity. Oh, net, equity. Net assets. Net assets, thank you. And we say net, so net means just what's left at the end. So net assets is just assets minus liabilities, your total amount of stuff you own yep. minus the total amount of stuff you you owe, O-W-E, yep. and the net is literally when you take off the other stuff. So net assets is assets net of liabilities. Just to be, we're we being really basic with our terms, let's really spell it out properly. Absolutely. And so when you have a big pile of debt, there's more on the liability side. Now, mm-hmm. I know someone's going to say, yeah, but you also add the cash that you borrowed 
to the assets so that it should be a, yeah. a, a wash. Yeah. Yes, that's true. But generally that money will get spent on hiring new people <laughs> and making new investments. It'll be carried on the balance sheet. So I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole, yeah. but I think yeah. you can all agree that if I take on a bunch of debt, my net assets over time is probably going to be a little less. And yeah. so the profit is the profit is the profit. So return on equity is just net profit divided by equity, return mm -hmm. on equity. Mm -hmm. But my equity is is small. I've, I've reduced mm -hmm. the denominator by by uh, increasing what's on the liability side. So that's why that's why debt juices return on equity. And that's why some people, I don't think unreasonably, will look at return on capital, yeah. which, which adds the debt back on or re return on assets. So there's, it's like with, you know, PEs or price to book or price to cash flow or price to sales. It's just different ways of benchmarking yeah. the thing that you're looking at to put it into context. And yeah, I, I think, I think that answers it, but there's a lot of there's a lot of subtlety there, mate. What do you, what would you add? There is. No, mate, you've done a great job. I'm just going to add to Dave. You mentioned housing before, and here's why. Here's how it makes it look better, mate. Uh, let's pretend, for the sake of the exercise, that I'm going to make up numbers that aren't re aren't real, but it just suits me because I can use round numbers. It's easier. So so bear with me as I do it. You got a hundred grand in your back pocket, and you go and buy a house as an investment, and that house is paying a five percent um, a five percent rental yield. Mm. Okay, you're going to get five grand a year for the hundred thousand dollars you paid out, mm -hmm. and that five grand is a return on assets of five percent, which mm -hmm. is great. Now, let's say in, you you go instead of doing that, you do something different. You take a hundred grand, you borrow nine hundred thousand dollars, and you buy a million dollar house, and you're getting the same five percent yield, so you're fifty thousand dollars a year. Now, in okay, this wait, so we're just making sure we're so we're buying a house in Cuba, PD, because it was only a million. Just checking. Okay, continue. Oh dear. In this case, you're getting a fifty grand a year for a million dollar house. Now, your return on assets is still five percent. Fifty thousand divided by a million is five percent, right? Mm -hmm. But the return on equity, the equity was still the same hundred grand you put in. So now, all of a sudden, you're getting a fifty percent return on equity. You put in a hundred grand, and you're getting back fifty grand a year. And that's the difference. So return on assets, 5%. Return on equity, because you're using borrowed money to juice the income, you're getting 50% returns. Now, if all you care about is the percentage, you can see hopefully why the return on equity number looks better. Because you're getting a you're using leverage and you're getting more income from it. Now, you have to take off costs of the borrowing and stuff. And that's why these are really, really simplified examples. But it's, it's mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. and housing again will get ram a bit rolled up here, but it was the best thing I'd come up with. Um, you know. I, used, I just was surprised you lowballed it with just a million dollar house, man. I thought I, okay, I told you that were unreasonable. I told are you we talking about you know, Sub Saharan Africa or was anyway, uh, you know, not, not Australia, but continue. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> That, that's the answer, mate. So, yeah, re return on assets in both cases is 5%. Return on equity in the other case. Now, I will say, it doesn't make it bad, right? There's nothing wrong necessarily with borrowing money, and there's nothing wrong with doing it. If you can use that money at a, at a high return, you're far better off using borrowed money, paying the interest, and actually getting the juice what's left, right? If you can, if you can borrow at 5% and earn 10% without running the risk of blowing yourself up, and that's a massive asterisk because there is no ability to avoid the chance of that. So again, that's why Buffett says leverage is the only way a smart guy can go broke or a smart person you might have said these days. Um, that's that's specifically why they're different. So return on equity is important because it's what am I getting based on all the stuff I've got in the business? In other words, if I had $100,000, what's the best thing I could do with that money? Where's the highest return coming from? That's why return on equity is important because it takes the assets and says, what can I get for them? Yep. But uh, it does, you have to remember, that's why to Ram's point, it's worth while look, also looking at return on assets to, or at least asking yourself how much debt's being used, ask you how prudent that is. Um, a reminder that um, 
Dave did ask about debt last week or the week before. Uh, so that's why uh, it kind of rolls in. That's why that's that's important. Yep. Um, let's change tack for Davo's last question, mate. Probably the last question for the pot, I reckon. On an earlier episode, he says, during a, discussing a currency-hedged US index ETF, Scott mentioned needing to sell the ETF when or if the Australian dollar went above the US dollar. But I still don't understand why one would need to sell. Wouldn't you just hang on to it, pause buying, and start buying the non-hedged version of the same ETF in that scenario, and then do the opposite? When the scenario flips, I'm missing something key here, aren't I? Says Davo. Um, I'll, I'll answer first, mate, only because I want to redefine the terms. Um, Go for it. Uh, to, to be really clear, because that's why I want to do this. I, I've never said you need to sell it, Davo. So uh, I may have been unclear in my messaging. I don't think I would have been, but I may have said need. I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised. But if I did, my humble apologies to everybody who listened to that episode. Um, I said I, I would probably want to sell it at that point. And the reason is... I'm, I'm a long-term buy-to-hold kind of guy. We've said this a million times. But if I get off a stupid price, I'm going to take it. The Aussie dollar has been above the US, I think, exactly once, I think, in the last 40 years. That is such an extreme overvaluation that if I owned an asset with that sort of scenario, I would sell in a heartbeat. If I had a... I won't use property this time, Andrew. If I had a, uh, if I had a um, rugby league playing card, and it was it usually sold for about 100, 150 bucks, depending on how excited people got. Every now and again, if someone said, hey, you, "I'll give you a thousand dollars for it," I'm not going to say, "Well, it's fine. We'll come back down. I'll buy another card instead." I'm like, "No, no, no. I will, I will absolutely take advantage of your lunacy, and I will sell you my thousand dollar playing card." Yeah. And so I wouldn't need to sell it, Dave, at that point. But when they're so dramatically overvalued as the dollar was then, remember the long run average is about 75, 80 cents, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that long run time, I mean, not 40 years, right? Which is kind of long enough, but kind of not really because things change all, all the time. I wouldn't, I yeah. wouldn't suggest there's any necessarily guarantee that it'll, it'll net back to there, but it's so far above any reasonable price that you, I think you take the money and run because you're being offered a stupid price. Equally... Mm-hmm. If the dollar fell to a stupid level, very occasionally it's got like 45 US cents. Mm. At that point, if you've got US assets, like, well, I love my Berkshire shares, but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth here. If I can sell at 45 and buy back at some future point at 80 again, I'm kind of doubling my money just by making the sale and, and repipe, right? So there's times when, so like you, I don't want to sell, Dave. I would love to hold and I probably will. And frankly, at that point, I might even be too lazy or apathetic to do what I said you should do. So as always, <laughs> you know, do what you didn't want to do. But generally speaking, it's just when you get off at a stupid price, you're best to take it. Not not slight overvaluations, not, oh, gee, it might be close to that. And for me, my view is I'm just going to hang on, right? I've owned stuff that's gone up and down. I'm like, I don't, I like this for the long term. I'm going to keep it. But if you get off a stupid price, if I, if I, so I will say I own, um, uh, I, when the dollar went to dollar 10, I threw as much Australian dollars into the US as I could. Because at that point, even if you lost to the market in US dollar terms, the benefit you get from buying US dollars at that point is overwhelmingly good. Most of the time, it's like, no, it's here or there. Don't worry about it. Just just do what you're doing. Every now and again, you get offered something that's so far out, either a great opportunity to buy or a great opportunity to sell, like so dramatically extreme, Mm. you should just take it. So you could, mate, you absolutely could just stop buying that one, buy the other one. Or you could have sold that one and bought the other one with even more money, knowing this was an extreme case. And that's why nothing's perfect. No, no no forecasts are exact but sometimes you look at something and you go I mean that's just dumb and at that mm. point you, you know, you, you, you've almost I say you've got to do it you'd have to do it all uh, but there are times when you just you know someone offers you a, a good deal and you just got to take it that's why that's why I sell my Prometicus shares right <laughs> <laughs> well, again, again, and again it could have gone to $1.20 right I might have sold it at $1.10 it might have gone to $1.20 like oh man that was stupid $1.30 oh yeah. man that sucks 
Um, it's all about probabilities. We say this so regularly. It's all about probabilities. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, when you get someone offered something at such an extreme price, yeah. um, I, I, I've said before, mate, I'm just not just doing this to be nice to you. I think you're super smart to sell at that price because there was no justification or reasonable. There's no, there's no basis for the price to be this high. There is well, some, and I, love, not I love to hear it, it was. but yeah, it no, sucks. It's true. Still, yeah. it's true. I mean- But you, you know, I've been there. The dot, dot com during two, 1999, right? If you'd, if you'd held all those text, sold the text stocks in 1999, they go higher. So, yeah. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Then, you know, six months later, oh, thank God, I really thank wasn't goodness. an Thank goodness, yeah. Right, yeah. right. I guess the point, I, I, so I agree with everything you said. The only point I would emphasize mm. is that what you're talking about is reacting, not predicting. In other yeah, words- Yeah, no, thank you. You know, it's not like you're anticipating this to happen and mm. then I will do the, I'll wait That's for this right. and then That's that'll right. happen. No, you're just going, I'm just going on my merry way because I like this mm. asset. Oh, one day I wake up and it's that. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's, it's the Ben Graham analogy of, of you know, the manic Mr. Market knocking on your door every day going, how about this price? And, you know, you just slam the door in his face. But every now and again, he'll knock on the door and go, I'll give you, you know, $10,000 for that. And you're like, Really? Uh, I didn't want to sell it, but I guess, yeah, actually I'll take that, you know? So that, 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 is, that is the key point with all of that. And I'd also add too that, you know, you don't, which you, which you said, you don't, it won't, at, mm. at the time it won't feel like necessarily a really <laughs> yes. smart choice because yeah, it sure, might go right. continue to go up a little bit more or maybe it just hangs there for a while and yep. why did I do this? I could have, should have, would have, et cetera. So it, sometimes it's always, it's always going to be tricky. And then the final comment is just, um, make sure that you're doing your your sums with post uh, accounting for tax, because yeah, you know, nice. The tax man's going to take a huge chunk That's of that. That's absolutely true. And then so you you even with a big profit, you may be putting less back in when you when you do eventually buy back in. So that's something yep. else to consider as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, we, we do finish that, but I, I I want to double underline that actually because it's such an if you particularly if you made a decent amount of money, and look, your first world problem, great problem to have all that kind of stuff, but it's such an important point that most people actually don't frankly take enough time and attention to think about because you know whether it's whether it's growing sales and profits whether it's growing dividends whatever it is if you can leave 100 percent of your money working for you for as long as possible yeah you want to do that if you've got to, if you, you know, let's say someone's on a really high tax rate let's just pick numbers and say just to illustrate my example if you're on a 40 is it 47 tax rate 48 and a half whatever it is with medicare levy you you um, assume i'm on that t- rate of tax <laughs> no well, I'm just you know one, one day i'll tell you <laughs> if, if, even at half even if when you pay half that rate for capital gains tax you're going to sell the dollar and you're going to have 75 cents left over to reinvest mm-hmm. which means it's got to go up by a third to get back to the dollar you started with now if you own something as a dollar don't don't hold for tax reasons because the dollar goes to like 50 cents by itself because the share price falls then yeah. you would, would be better off to pay the tax, right? So please yeah. don't put tax first. Yeah. But when you're comparing two ideas, the one I own and I've made a lot of money on or another one over here, I'm not saying keep the one you've got. If you've got too much of it, if your portfolio's not diversified, if you're taking too much risk, if the company's overvalued, if it's Prometicus, you know, s- sell it because you, or at least sell some because you don't want to have that much tied up. But remember, when you do that, when you make that sale, you've got to find an idea it's going to grow by at least that much relative to the investment you're selling, by the way, which also might increase in value mm. just to get square and then try and make some money on top of that. It's why if you're thinking about long-term, I, we've had this conversation before, Ram, it's one for another day, but when you think about kind of getting closer to retirement, do you mm. buy growth assets or, or, or dividend payers? Mm. There is a really decent argument for not, not this is not the only outcome and you've said you, you're planning to do something different, but there's a decent argument to say, well, if I buy some dividend payers now, I never have to sell them. Mm. That I'm going to have 100% of my money working for me forever yeah. until such time as I actually want to sell or need to sell, uh, rather than someone's got to sell down part of their uh, shareholding and then pay tax on that to get the money out. 
not to mention Frank Kurtz on top of that. But it sure. is why you need to never, ever, ever, ever put tax first. Don't even put yeah. a second. But people somewhere do, in the calculus. Make God, we, do, we do such dumb things because tax. Why? Because tax. I mean, <laughs> tax. you know That's I'm going to, you know I'm very, I'm not oh, going I know, to. I know, I know. But know. the run-up potential here is like person who does the negative gearing. It's like, I, I'm going to lose money. But what? Oh, yeah. but I save on tax. That's right. Yeah, but, yeah, but go back to the first part. <laughs> Wait, so you're, you're planning to lose money? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's the plan. Yeah. Not, not, oh, I lost something. No, no, yeah. So, yeah. That, I don't know if you've told is- me, someone, someone's told me they knew someone who used to demand they pay company expenses themselves rather than have the company pay the bill because they got a tax deduction for it. And okay. I almost understand the idea behind that until you really do the maths. Like, so hang on, you're going to pay a dollar and you get a 30 cent tax break versus the company paying the dollar for you. Yeah. You're still paying 70 cents in the first example here. It's like, oh, yeah. And just that, that desperation to save money on tax, it is, oh, it is such a, it's such a, I, on one hand, it's understandable, it's right? It's dumb. You know, you don't want people to take your money dumb. away, but it's you're being, kind of is. You're being nice. It's oh, dumb. Okay, it's dumb. 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 Don't do on it. that happy, cheery note, mate, <laughs> thank you for an awesome 2023. I want to thank our listeners, three of whom are still listening uh, about an hour and 10 minutes into the podcast, um, for spending 2023 with us. Uh, yeah. We hope you've given, we've given you some things to think about, maybe the occasional laugh, maybe the occasional investment idea, not a recommendation, of course, but an idea uh, to help you build your investing uh, portfolio, your investing education knowledge, and maybe, as I said, giving you a, a smile along the way. Uh, we don't get to do this unless you guys listen. So thank you for, from me. Thank you for Andrew. You can yep. use our words in a minute. No, but uh, just want to say thanks for, for spending some time with us. Thanks for putting up with us. Um, I've avoided the, uh, the the straw man joke for a while. It may or may not make a return next year. I can't make any oh, oh, but okay. uh, But in, in the meantime, that special Christmas gift to our listeners, mate, what can I say? <laughs> just a, a huge thank you uh, for spending a bit of time with us. We, we very much appreciate it. We know there's a million other things you could be doing and a gazillion other podcasts you could be listening to so thank you for spending a bit of time with us and we hope you have a wonderful 2024 yeah i mean i i definitely want to lean into that as well i it really is genuinely appreciated i mean we love getting correspondence and feedback it's it's so nice um i think we're used to in our private lives like it's our poor old wives and that that have to listen to these rants who are so sick of it so to have have an alternate you know avenue to vent on is is therapeutic right so mm-hmm. it is it is very much valued and keeps us I, married which is nice it keeps yeah exactly um the only other thing i would say is uh, as we head into the new year um mm. just remember that this this stuff is always hard like it was hard at the start of this year. It'll be hard next year. <laughs> You're going to have a bunch of forecasts and mm-hmm. predictions thrown at you as the new year kicks off. And it's going to be as super noisy as ever. It's probably going to be increasingly noisy. And we've, mm. we've talked before about how sort of like things are just moving a lot faster these days as well. So I guess I, if there's anything I can sort of say as you head into the new year, it's just remember that, you know, quote Buffett again, this stuff is all easy. It's, it's, sorry, it's, it's, it's simple, not easy in the sense that I feel as though every week we just get up and say the same four things over and over <laughs> and over again. But, I, but hopefully it's worthwhile in the sense that you, it, it, it just the other – the temptation to talk about the, the hype, to talk about the now, to talk about the next big thing, to talk about mm. the reallocation of this and the this and that is, is very great tempting. rotation. The great <laughs> rotation, because in this game, whether it's podcasting or YouTube or whatever, it's it's sort of engagement is everything. And mm. if you want to get engagement, 
saying the same thing every bloody week is not really great for you. <laughs> so I, I, I genuinely think like you, you get the audience you deserve. And so the fact that people have stuck with us for this long, even into this pod, I think, I think it's sort of, it, I, I'm not trying to sort of butter up the listeners here, but actually say, well, well done to you for, for getting it. And that I, I, I think both of us know who have been doing it for ages now, we'd be lying if we said that these challenges don't affect us in fact i know for me they affect me a lot a lot of you know whether it's anchoring or fomo or you you name the 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 problem that's there so i just i'm just i just just what i want to say is uh you know i I feel the struggle um we're here we're here to sort of go through it with you and um let's let's have a happy 2024 but whatever happens this year let's just hope that we just stay on the straight and narrow because it's more about what what things might look like in in 2034 as opposed to 2024 yeah it was ever thus, but also this too shall pass. And if you can keep those two thoughts in your head at the same time, you're yep. doing very, very well. Very true. Mate, uh, I have, on a personal level too, mate, I want to thank you for a great 2023. I've had an absolute ball doing the podcast with you. Um, again, listeners, you're welcome for being spared the Bitcoin and property rants off air. Uh, you've got nothing <laughs> on air, so... Uh, yeah, you, just, you, just, take, you really take the flack on that front, don't you? <laughs> Even before this one, I had to give you a little rant and you said, oh, and I said, I'll give you the short version. And afterwards you went... <laughs> That was the short version. <laughs> the worst thing was, you said, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it was. It absolutely was. <laughs> anyway, mate, I really appreciate it. Thank you for being Likewise. a great co-host. I've, I've ab- absolutely had a ball. With enough yep. self-congratulation, enjoy what's left of your 2023. And you know what? Screw you all. I'm not going to come back until next year. Full on. <laughs> I'm done too. <laughs> See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.